All right. I guess it's my turn. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. My name's Kelly. Scott Stab, I'm a pastor here. I'm filling in for Matt tonight. He is up in Portland auditing a class, furthering his education. So um, I'm excited to be here tonight. Um, I kind of like filling in for Matt. He's such a great teacher. It's kind of impossible to fill in for him, but um, I feel like I got a, a cool thing to share with you guys tonight. So I want to start with a question for you guys. So and that question is, is, is do you want to be great in life? Do you want to be known as someone who has the word greatness attached to your picture in the dictionary? When I ask myself, the answer is yes, absolutely. I want to be someone who is known for greatness. The definition of greatness is remarkable in magnitude, degree, or effectiveness. I want to give you guys some quick examples of greatness from the past, the very near past. These are people who have achieved greatness really in their own eyes. So the first person is... uh, Joey Chestnut is this guy. Uh, Joey Jaws Chestnut is actually what he calls himself. He's the 2016 hot dog eating champion of the world. He downed 70 hot dogs in 10 minutes at the 4th of July Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition. So that's one hot dog if you do the math every eight and a half seconds. That's an insane speed. I could maybe like try to do that one time, but then like repeated 70 times, it would probably be impossible. One hot dog weighs 3.5 ounces and it's 280 calories. So if you ate 70 hot dogs, that's 15 pounds of food, 19,600 calories in 10 minutes. So good job to him. Very great man. Uh, The next guy, his name's Harry Spurl. They call him Hamburger Harry. Hamburger Harry, he has the largest collection of hamburger-related items in the world. 3,724 hamburger-related items. I don't know how you, like, start to collect that, but obviously he has a passion for hamburgers. Uh, The next guy, his name's Andrew Gray. He also is a collector. He took home the title for the largest collection of stuffed crocodiles, 6,739. So I'm very proud of him. Um, This last guy, he's probably my favorite, though. Zing Shusen. He holds the record for the world's longest eyebrow hair. (laughs) 7.5 inches. He's holding it. I mean, he's just like... So proud of that. That's his world record. So all these people, they're, they're really, they're great in their own eyes. And I, I think it's awesome. But how do I, how do we become great like these people? Well, we eat lots of hot dogs. We collect lots of weird things and we grow our eyebrow hairs out, which I don't know how you do that, but it's like he'd been saving it, you know, since like first grade, like, nope, don't touch that one. I'm just going to let that one go. But seriously, if we're honest, I think there's an angst in all of us to want to be great at something. And I I look in here and I know that most of you guys, you're probably great at at least one thing, 
whether it's your job, whether it's athletics, whether it's cooking, whether you're the world's greatest knitter, I don't know. I know for myself, I'm really good at making French toast, and I can eat it really fast. So that's like my claim to greatness right there. We're all uniquely made, though. We all have different skills and abilities, and that is totally an okay thing. But the greatness I want to talk about tonight is different than than most people's definition of what greatness is, especially in America. And that's the greatness of being a servant, because it's the best kind of greatness. And it's a kind of greatness that we can all attain. So we're going to find out that true greatness comes by serving others and putting others in front of you. So if you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Matthew 20, verse 20. If you're there, say amen. Amen. You guys are quick. Okay, let's pray first before we get into the word. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for an opportunity for me to come and sit in front of all these people who are way smarter than me and to share my heart on on what, what I think you have given me to share to them. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for this opportunity and I pray a blessing on it. In your name, amen. Amen. So it's my goal to study through this text quickly with you guys. I'm a quick teacher. Matt's a great teacher, and he teaches way longer than me. I like to keep it nice and short and sweet, so um, you guys can enjoy the rest of your night. We're going to study through this text, and then I want to give you guys some application, some practical application to help you kind of sink this point in. So in verse 20 of Matthew 20, it says this, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked him of a favor. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes to Jesus on behalf of her sons, seeking position for her sons, wondering, hey, can my sons These two boys, can they sit on your right and can they sit on your left in heaven? Would that be okay? She's talking about James and John. Those are her two sons. They're the first of, they're they're two of the first three of Jesus' disciples, of his 12 disciples. And it's interesting to me that that these disciples, James and John, that, that they sent their mom to do the dirty work. I think they knew that the request that they were making probably wasn't the right request. It probably wasn't something that they should go and they, they should ask Jesus. So they sent their mom. They probably kind of coaxed her into it, right? They were like, Mom, he can't deny you. You should go ask him, okay, for us, please. And so, you know, she went and did it. But like I said, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a shady thing that they did. And I know that I've done some probably not good things in my life, but I remember especially one time when I coaxed one of my friends into doing something. Uh, It was my friend Robbie. 
Bigelow. Uh, he's a great, he's one of my best friends growing up. And uh, we were playing golf one time at, uh, I think we're at Colonial Valley. It's closed now, so I can tell this story. And uh, we had rented a, a golf cart, and we were just like 16, so it was cool to have a golf cart. You know, we're like, yeah, it was awesome. So we were driving, playing golf, and we were on the eighth hole. Um, we finished it, and we were going to the ninth, and there was this big pile of grass. And I was like, Robbie, dude, you should drive through that pile of grass. He's like, no. I'm like, I'm like Robbie, seriously, you should drive through that pile of grass. And so I kind of like coaxed him into it, and he ended up doing it. He got a full speed run at it, went as fast as he could, ran into this pile of grass and just stopped. Because you know what happens with grass? When it gets wet, it just becomes like hard and like stinks like manure. And so this cart is high centered in this pile of grass. And so we're sitting there like, you know, we're digging it out with our pitching wedges and pushing it out. And we finally got it out and we rinsed it off. And I think Robbie got a call later that night from the uh, country club once they figured out what we did. But the question that was asked of the mother was a request for a position to sit on the right and sit on the left of Jesus in heaven. It's obviously that position was to them, the disciples, it was a symbol of importance and greatness. And it wasn't uncommon for the disciples to argue about seeking position, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, they have an argument about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Mark chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus calls them out when they get home from a journey. He's like, hey, what were you guys arguing about on the journey back there? And they kind of like kept quiet about it because they knew that they were arguing about who is the greatest. And then Luke chapter 22 verse 24, and this is like just classic disciples, um, after Jesus gets done explaining communion to them, like they're in the upper room, here's my body, here's my blood, he's got the elements, it's like picturesque, you know? And then right after that, they get in an argument about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So it wasn't an uncommon thing for them to argue and think about, man, who's going to be like sitting next to Jesus in heaven? Because I hope it's me. So it's obvious that, that the disciples' view of greatness, it was a little bit off. And we're talking about the disciples here, the disciples who spent time with Jesus. So it makes me worried about me. It makes me worried about us. And then continuing in verse 22, says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. So I love how Jesus responds to questions so often. He gives them a response that they're usually not expecting. Whenever Jesus answers questions, it seems like he gives them a response where people are like, ooh, yeah, I didn't really think about that one. Hmm. It's kind of the head scratcher. But Jesus says to them, it says, to them. It's not just to her. He's not responding to her. He's responding to them. Because Jesus really knew, obviously, who was asking the question. He knew that this question was not coming from the mother. He knew it was coming from the two disciples, from the two brothers. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to him. 
Can you drink of the cup I am going to drink? He's referring to the cup of suffering, referring to his crucifixion, to his brutal death that was going to happen on the cross. The disciples reply, though, we can. Oh, yeah, sure. But could they? Could they comprehend what, what Jesus was really talking about? I love what Matthew Henry says about it. He says, they knew not what it was to sit on his right hand and on his left. They talked of it as blind men do colors. What Jesus was saying was something that was really uncomprehendable to them. But I love to see their willingness regardless of their motives. You know, they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll drink of that cup. So continuing on in verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So Jesus says to his disciples, says, says to these two men, you will drink from my cup. If you say that you can handle it, then so be it. James, later on, is beheaded. John is tortured and exiled onto a random island. So as the saying goes, be careful what you wish for, right? Jesus then answers the initial question. He says, well, to sit on my right hand and sit on my left hand, that's, that's just, that's not for me to give. That's for my Father in heaven. And then in verse 24, it says, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So the disciples here, they're showing their true colors. They're angry at this request, obviously, that these two brothers have had their mother come in and ask Jesus. And I think they're angry because they themselves are guilty of the same sin. They really wanted that position. They were like, man, he's asking, but man, I wanted to sit there. So obviously, they're guilty of the same sin. And it's interesting to me when people get mad at the same thing that they themselves are guilty for. Oftentimes, um, a couple times a year, me and my wife, we drive to Southern California, and it's a long drive. And once you get into California, it, they drive different there, <laughs> okay? They, they drive, they exceed the speed limit. And there is no, like, right lane, left lane. There, it doesn't exist there. So when we're driving, like, I, you know, I'm used to just staying, I'll stay in the fast lane, and, you know, I'm waiting for this guy to get over, and when he gets over, I'm going to keep going, but so I'll just be there, and then all of a sudden, I'll look in my mirror, and here comes this guy, and he's just passing like 10 people in the slow lane. He just, just flies right by and then cuts off into the fast lane and keeps on going. But my favorite thing to do is to speed up when, he get, when I see him coming. I'll speed up, and I'll get on the guy's bumper in front of me and hopefully like push him a little bit, and then it kind of creates this like blockade for him, and then we'll catch up to a truck in the slow lane, and the guy just has to like slam on his brakes, and we all just pass him. And I just like wave at him, you know, and everybody just goes right by and he's got to get right back in the back of the lane. But then I'll be driving and I'll be in the fast lane and I'll be like, man, this guy's just, he's going so slow. And then I'll try to pass him and I'll do the same thing. But then it's like, people know what I do. And so they don't let me in. And I'm like, this guy's not letting me in. And my wife's like, well, you do the same thing, <laughs> right? So the disciples, they're, they're, they're guilty of the same thing. They're really showing their, their true colors at this point. 
And then Jesus ends this section, and I'm going to actually read it from the message. The message is a, a different translation of the Bible, and it's an easy way to kind of understand text sometimes, and it puts it in a really cool perspective. So it says this from the message in verses 25 through 28. So Jesus got them together to settle things down. He said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. So Jesus here, he's referring to two types of greatness, the greatness of self and the greatness of serving. The greatness of self, his example, he uses the Gentiles. He uses these godless rulers, these dictators. They portrayed absolute power and position over people. They would, it says that they would throw their weight around. They had this mentality where it was kind of like, look at me. Look who I am. Look what I have. Don't you know who I am? And that reminds me, really, honestly, of America. People are like, yeah, look what I got. Look who I am. Don't you know who I am? Right? But all of that attitude and mindset, I think that really, honestly, leads to emptiness. I, was, uh, I had a really cool opportunity this last week uh, to pick up Tadashi, the, the hip-hop artist who played at Converge. I picked him up from the airport. I drove him to his hotel and to the concert and uh, back to his hotel and into the airport super early in the morning the next morning. It was cool, though. Uh, but it was him and his road manager and then his DJ. And I was, you know, talking to him the whole time. And at one point, I got into a conversation with his road manager, and I was asking him, you know, where... where you know, what, what have you been doing like your whole life, you know, and just kind of asking him some stuff. And I guess before this job with Tadashi, he had been like security detail for some actually really big hip hop names. And at one point he just is kind of talking and he just randomly just starts talking about how empty that life was for him. How when he would hang out with those guys and he would see it in their lives, it was, it was all fake. It was all empty. It was just this world that existed, like this kind of hypothetical world, but in the end, it was just, it was emptiness. Those guys are all empty. The after parties, the big concerts, all the money, all the everything, man, those guys are unhappy. They're empty, he said. And that's why he really enjoyed touring with Tadashi, because Tadashi's a believer in Jesus, and there's actual satisfaction in the ministry that he got to help Tadashi do. So it was a, it was a really cool conversation. So Jesus, obviously, he, he recognizes this in the disciples, that, man, they're, they're thinking this way, this kind of like, oh, yeah, if I can sit next to you in heaven, it'll be like, look who I am, right? But he says, not that way with you. And the greatness that he tells his disciples about is the greatness given by service. Jesus says, if you want to be great... It's not about being first, it's about being last. It's not about serving yourself, it's about serving other people. And I bet at that point, 
sitting in that room, I bet you could hear a pin drop with those disciples. They're just like, ooh, yeah. I would love to see their faces when Jesus said that to them, like, okay, yeah, that's true, Jesus, I get it. Jesus wasn't yelling at them, though. He was just giving them truth only like Jesus could do. If you want to be great, you must become a servant of all. And it seems like a hard concept for the disciples to pick up on, but it's such a simple truth if we really think about it. If you want to be great, you got to put other people in front of you. You need to serve other people. But within this simple truth is where true greatness lies. And for us, we need to be servants. We need to be putting other people first. And I know that is hard because it's hard for me. And I know it's probably hard for you guys too. So I have three practical ways to greatness. And this is greatness with Jesus's definition attached to it, not, not what the world would say. So first off, number one is get off your high horse. Number one, get off your high horse. It used to be that having a high horse, or in Britain as they call them great horses, it used to be a symbol of status. If you had a tall horse, you were, you were a big shot. You were the big man in town. Naturally, you were above everybody else. You know, if you rolled in with a big horse, obviously you're kind of now looking down on people, right? Luke 19 details Jesus entering Jerusalem on a colt, on a small donkey, just rolling in there, eye to eye with the people. Now, he could have had all eight Budweiser Clydesdales pulling a golden wagon with two lions and his disciples waving palm fronds in his face, fanning them. You know, he could have done that, right? Could have been easy. But Jesus chose to be humble. And if you want to be great, you need to be humble. And as I get older, this gets more difficult for me. I know because I start, you know, you start to get life experience, you start to get your career going, you get married, you have kids, you have a house, and then it gets easy to sort of look down on people with less life experience than you, or less money than you, or a lesser career than you, whatever it is. I love the story of George Washington um, that I want to share with you because he was, he was, he was a real deal. I think he was a really humble guy if we would have met him. Once George Washington was riding near Washington City with a group of friends, and they came to a place where they had to leap over a wall. In the process, one horse knocked off a number of stones from the wall. Washington said, we better replace them. His friends told, oh, let the farmer do it. But Washington didn't feel right about that. When the riding party was over, he went back the way they came. He found the wall and dismounted, then carefully replaced each of the stones. His riding companion saw what he did and said, you're too big to do that. His only response was, on the contrary, I am the right size. I just think that's the awesomest story. So my question to you for this point is, is where is your head at? What position is your head at? How are you viewing people? Are you high? Are you low? 
with work, with friends, with family, out in the public? Are you someone who is kind of like up in the air, way above everybody else, you would think? Or are you somebody who's ground level, like Jesus, viewing others as equals, looking for ways to serve other people? And I think it's something that we need to search and ask ourselves and be honest. Are we looking over people or are we looking at people? Secondly, first, get off your high horse. Second, check your statement. Check your statement. Most of us have bank accounts, right? I bank at Wells Fargo. I don't know why I bank at Wells Fargo. I just do. Okay, um, it's been a great bank for me and my wife. They have a super good online platform. They have a cool app. You know, you can check what your purchases are and stuff like that. But at, at the end of each month, I'm sent a monthly statement. And it's really cool for me to be able to evaluate what we've purchased, you know, to look back and see what money my wife has spent because she spends most of the money, right? It's a good tool to allow us to make adjustments, you know, like, okay, we spent this much at Target this month, like, all right, maybe we should, like, cut that back, like, significantly, you know. No, she doesn't spend that much, really. Um, In life, though, we need to be checking our statements as well. I think just for us personally, we need to be looking back and evaluating how we are living, Am I living for serving myself or am I living for serving other people? And it's not just like a one-time thing like, okay, I'm going to evaluate myself tonight and all right, good. No, it's a daily thing. Daily, we need to be evaluating, okay, how am I, how am I doing in this thing of service? How am I doing serving other people? Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean that life gets easy. Jesus asked the disciples, can you drink of this cup? Can you endure hardship? Well, guess what? Following Jesus is, is, is hard. Serving other people is hard. It's humbling for yourself. The disciples, they were motivated, though. When Jesus asked the question, they were like, yeah, oh, yeah, I can do that. So my question for you for this is, what what does your statement look like? If you're to look back at the statement of your life and to wonder how you're doing in the area of serving other people, are there any transactions even for serving other people, for humbling yourself? And are you motivated to pursue this type of greatness like the disciples were? Thirdly, And lastly, first, get off your high horse. Second, check your statement. Thirdly, is stay away from mirrors. Stay away from mirrors. What do most of us do when we walk by a mirror? We look at ourselves, right? It's a fact. Some people a lot longer than other people, though, right? (laughs) Looking at a mirror, though, it, it's good. There can be good things. You know, maybe you got a, you know, booger hanging out or something in your tooth or, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe you got something on your face, your hair is messed up. 
Mirrors do serve a purpose, okay? They're, they're a good thing. But I think mirrors can be a bad thing too because I think, like I said, some people do stare way too long and they become one with the mirror and they don't focus on anything else around them and they just forget and they're just focusing right on themselves. Right? That just happens to some people, okay? Everyone needs a little self-focus. It's fine. But too much self-focus leads to selfishness, thinking about yourself more than others. And I am a prime example of this, okay? I'm definitely not a perfect person. A couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, Tiffany, we should go to the Saturday market. It'd be cool, right? She's like, oh, yeah, okay, awesome. So it was early in the morning, and I, was, I said that, and then I thought to myself, like, oh, wait. I need to paint this door on the side of my house. And so I need to go over there and start scraping it and masking it and priming it and getting ready to paint. You know, I, I, could, I have to do it, right? I'm the man of the house. Meanwhile, Tiffany's in the house getting herself ready, getting the kids ready, cooking breakfast, cleaning up after them, loading them in the stroller. And finally, she gets them out, and I'm just kind of there like, oh, yeah, hey. I walk out, and okay, I'm ready to go. Well, she wasn't the, the happiest, you know, because I should have helped her, right? I should have not thought about what I need to do. And okay, if I made a request, let's, let me help you get the family out of the house, right? That's what I should have done. I didn't do it. Next time, I'm going to do it though, okay? But the reality is we're never going to be able to focus on others when we are focusing on ourselves, right? Selfishness, if not kept in check, it can fester and it can really take over a person without them even realizing it. If you want to be a servant to other people, you need to focus on them. You need to be someone who focuses on other people and not focusing on yourself. It sounds easy, but in, in fact, it is really hard. So my question for this is, are you staring in the mirror too long? Are you focusing on yourself rather than family? Are you focusing on yourself rather than your friends? Are you focusing on yourself rather than coworkers? Are you focusing on yourself rather than the random checker at Walmart that just needs somebody to say hi to her and ask her, hey, how are you doing? My hope and my prayer is, is that I've encouraged you guys to want to serve other people because that is where true greatness lies. And I hope you guys want to be great people. I know you guys are great people in here, but there's just something about serving other people that leads to this true greatness that Jesus is talking about. And I know that I want that for my life personally, and I hope you guys want that. So get off your high horse, check your statement, and quit looking in the mirror, okay? <laughs> you can just keep that in the back of your head if you want. So to finish the night, we're going to do um, communion. And communion is a, it's a celebration of the selfless act that Jesus did by dying on the cross for our sins. 
It's a prime example. It's the most prime example of greatness. So as Trevor comes up here, he's going to play a, another song for us, and the guys are going to come, and they're going to pass out the elements. As you're handed the elements, I want you to re- really try to reflect on what Jesus did, what it was like, that selfless act that he did that led, led to true greatness in his life, what that must have felt like, being innocent, dying for the guilty, dying for us. And I also want you to reflect on yourself, too. Reflect on this message. Reflect on, man, am I, am I someone who is selfish? Am I someone who is, am I serving other people? Or am I serving myself? What is it? Am I up on my high horse? Am I not even looking at people like I should be looking at them? I know we can always all use a little bit of self-reflection. I know I can. So as we pass out the elements, I want you guys just to, to, to reflect on that, that truth. At your name The mountains shake and crumble At your name The oceans roar and tumble At your name Angels will bow, the earth will rejoice, and your people cry out. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to shout your name, oh Lord. At your name, the morning breaks in glory. At your name, creation sings your story at your name angels will bow the earth will rejoice and your people cry out lord of all the earth we shout your name shout your name Filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. 
our God. We will sing, we will sing. There is no one like our God. We will praise you, praise you. There's no one like our God. We will sing, we will sing. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name. Filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for this day that you have made and this opportunity for us to be in this place tonight. All these lives, all these souls showing up in unity at this one place. And we get to take communion. We get to remember you, what you did on the cross for us, that you died for us, that you shed your blood for us, that you had your body so broken for us. And I thank you for that. The word thank you doesn't even really match up to what you did, God, but it's all I can say is I thank you for what you have done for me and for us and the true greatness that you showed by dying for us. And so I pray tonight as we take these elements that we would remember not only the greatness that you showed us, but that we would strive to have that greatness, that we would strive to be serving other people, that if there is people in here tonight that are dealing with selfishness, with looking down on people, God, that, that, that are focusing on themselves too much, Lord, I pray that they would turn the other direction and that they would repent, Lord, and that they would they would follow after you, follow in your path, serving one another, serving their, serving their family, serving their friends, serving the random people out on the streets, whoever it may be. So God, we thank you for this opportunity to take communion tonight, God, and we ask a blessing on it in your name. Amen. You can eat and you can drink. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. Good night. God bless you guys.